Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into this week's Ots and Audible's podcast, Mailbag Edition. I'm Matt Prame. Kevin Wade is on the show. And we are answering your best questions that you submitted, uh, whether it's on social media or on duckterritory.com, about Oregon, Oregon football, Oregon recruiting, Oregon basketball, everything in between. We've got a lot of recruiting discussion. Uh, Going to give our takes on who could be some surprise commitments to the Duck football program in 2021 a class that currently is fifth in the country and trending up even more so surprise commitments are always a good thing but before we dive into the mailbag for this week i want to remind duck fans out there that you can subscribe to duckterritory.com today for half price we are still offering our 10 year anniversary promotion all of august is when it runs 10 year anniversary, 50% off an annual membership, save over $50 by subscribing to duckterritory.com, which is on top of your already built-in savings when you subscribe with an annual membership. So it's more than 50 bucks almost uh, when you compare it to the month-to-month price. Inside access, you get to join a great Oregon Duck football community, Oregon basketball community, recruiting community. Uh, you get the, the full story. You get to read everything that Kevin Kevin Wade posts. You get everything that Eric Scopel posts. You get everything I post. Uh, but on top of that, uh, you can go and check out the USC site to see what they're reporting on Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country, and see what's the USC hearing. You can go to the LSU site or the Georgia site and see what they're hearing on Corey Foreman and really form a, an informed opinion uh, on everything surrounding recruiting, on college football, college basketball, everything in between. You don't just get one site by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. All right, Kevin, um, we've got seven questions. The first half is going to be recruiting. I think that's uh, a hot topic right now. Um, and let's start things off with, with Tevo. He posted this on the board. What's the intel on Kingsley? That, that would be Kingsley Soomatia, a four-star offensive tackle. We've heard that he is pushing up his commitment. Seems like he is at least giving SC the time of day based off his Twitter retweets, likes. Is he still virtually a lock for Oregon? Um, there's a lot to unpack here with this question. Yeah, I think the, the intel begins is that he is close to a commitment. I, I think he, he's publicly said that, that himself. Um, everything we heard is that a commitment is coming sooner than later, uh, whether it's from our national insiders like Blair Angulo um, or, or just what we've picked up. And I think that that's kind of been the million dollar question when it comes around Kingsley is, is he going to commit now or is he going to wait? And we kind of always thought he was going to wait to take visits, but since March prospects haven't been able to take visits. So those aren't happening and no one knows when those are going to happen. So he's indicated that he's pushing up his timeline now giving USC the time of day. um, Go look at his Twitter feed. He's posted a few edits USC. Now that you, the state of Utah is playing high school football, USC has sent him a few good luck on Friday night edits. 
Uh, but it's worth noting, look at his Twitter and he's also posting the ones that Oregon is sending him. He's posting the ones that a few other schools are sending him. I think there is a little buzz about USC because that's one of the schools he talked about wanting to visit. But when it comes down to it, you just look at the bigger picture, which school has been recruiting the hardest. We talked about this on our last podcast as well, but Oregon has been there the entire way. They've treated him like the number one priority, regardless of class. Um, and that, that might not necessarily be true, but that's how he feels. And that's what he's told uh, reporters when he, he's gone on the record that he feels like he's the number one priority from Oregon. And, and you look at his relationship with the Sewell family, Panay, went from being about the same ranking, a, a top 60 prospect to being an Outland Trophy winner as a yeah. sophomore and, and really developing and thriving under Alex Mirabal and Mario Cristobal's um, leadership. So I, I think the virtual Oregon lock still stands. The 247 Crystal Ball uh, agrees Nothing's with that statement. There. Yeah, it's, it's Oregon or Oregon. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think everything – I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, it would still be a pretty big shock across the board if Kingsley were to commit to a different school than, than Oregon. Um, everything is setting up for Oregon. And, look, this is a guy that's, that's come out and said that um, he wants to you know, take his time. And COVID has, has kind of pushed that, that time frame when he was going to try and decide um, – up a little bit and that can come with then some sense of you know let's really open up everything and, and really look at some of these schools seriously and, and look there's always going to be ebbs and flows recruiting is always that way um but that that being said I, I i would be utterly shocked if kingsley does not end up with oregon especially considering like you said the connection with the soul family and the soul development uh that he's gone through under mario cristobal all right, next question from Or Ducks for Life. This is also one that was submitted on DuckTerritory.com. Just saw Billy Embody, uh, Crystal Ball, Bryce Foster to Oklahoma. Billy uh, works uh, for 24-7 Sports. Uh, I know Oregon is still in, this pl- is still in this. Where do they sit versus Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and Oregon? Who leads in order, please? I, I think Oregon is has consistently been kind of that you could argue second or third school. I don't know if they've necessarily been the outright leader. Um, Oklahoma certainly, I think right now is the school that feels like they are in the driver's seat. Texas A&M is the local, local school. Um, you know, he, he, he lives very close to, to A&M. Uh, he has a large number of his family members have attended Texas A&M. This is going to be a deal in which, uh, Oklahoma is closer, but it, it could be kind of that um, Seattle or that Washington or, you know, for, for instance, that Troy Franklin commitment where he could consider staying home and, 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 and playing football really close to home. But at the same time, Troy Franklin picked Oregon because, hey, it's close to my family, but at the same time, I'm a good distance away from them and I can branch out and be on my own. That's kind of what Oklahoma is f- for him. Uh, you know, it's a day's drive or so. Less than that, uh, very easy to get to uh, from from where he's at in Texas. So I, I think Oregon. Look, Bryce Foster has always been, I think, a luxury in my mind for Oregon. Um, if they could get him, it's a luxury. They don't necessarily need him. 
Um, and and not, that's not to say that he, his talent isn't good because it is. I mean, he's an impact player. He could be a he could be a true freshman starter at Oregon. Um, but their depth is set up where uh, they aren't in a position where they need to go out and sign a guy right away to play as a true freshman because they don't have the depth. Uh, if, if Bryce Foster stepped on the campus and, and got a starting job as a true freshman, it means he's really good. And, you know, I, I think he is that good. But Oregon would be fine if they didn't land him. So he's, he's more of a luxury right now. Um, and I just have a hard time with a distance. And I know he wants to do track. And I know his, his grandma attended Oregon and is from the area and, and all of that. But I just have a hard time right now um, saying definitively that Oregon is going to get Bryce Foster. Um, I've been close to putting a crystal ball in, but every now and then I, I, I sit and I wait and a new team kind of pops up. And right now it seems like it's Oklahoma. Yeah. Oklahoma has just kind of been the team that's been slowly building that momentum. I know Texas A&M was the early favorite, but um, I, I also just go look at positions of need. As you said, he would be a luxury for Oregon to add. And that doesn't mean that he's not considering Oregon because, Oh, he'd just be a luxury. No, Oregon, has proven that the, there's some good offensive line development, but you go look at Oklahoma's class and they have one offensive line commitment right now. And that's a position that they're really needing to recruit. Um, and so maybe you look at the depth and maybe he just sees the opportunity to start there because Oregon has done a great job, especially on the interior in bulking up the number of linemen and, and with some surprises. I mean, Jonathan Dennis, who they got out of the 2020 class is already making waves as an early enrollee. So um, I think Oregon is right there in the picture. It's really a top three, even though there are a few more teams that kind of are, are working their way in here and there. Um, I could see it end up being a two-team race with Oklahoma and Oregon, but right now I, I wouldn't put in a crystal ball, but I think the edge would go to Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on everything there too. Now let's go to question number three. It comes from QuackAttack74 on Twitter. What could be this year's biggest surprise commitment to the Oregon Duck football program? Now, Kevin, I, I think the question becomes – how do we define surprise? Um, is that something where we look at it and say, out of left field, we, we, we aren't, no, no one is expecting any kind of verbal commitment right now from, from player A or B or C, and he does it? Um, or is it, hey, right now, it's not necessarily, uh, Oregon's not like in the driver's seat for this guy, but I think in three or four months, things will change. Oregon will overcome, they'll make a push, and they'll land the verbal commitment. That's where I'm going to side with. And I'm going to pick JT Tui Malau out of Eastside Catholic High School in Sammamish, Washington, the number two player in the country. Five-star defensive end. He's He's been looking to get out of the state of Washington. Um, Washington's still a player, but it's kind of it, it's always kind of felt like, do I want to leave home? or do I want to stay, stay home? And, and he, he keeps exploring options to get out. Alabama is a school that's really kind of increased attention the last couple of weeks. Nick Saban's gotten involved. Ohio State's long time been considered probably the favorite. But I think for me, the thing with, with him is Oregon's always kind of been that consistent number two or that consistent number three. 
you know, or, or they're tied with another school to be the, the you know, his second leading uh, player. And I look at that as when it comes to home, when it gets down to the nitty gritty time and a decision needs to be made and he's, he's, he's coming out and he's thinking about, Oh, I want to maybe go away from home and be away from parents and grow on my own a little bit and, and, and grow into who I want to become. But I, he also feels that that pull of being home and being local and being near his family and being near his friends, Oregon kind of, gives him the best of both of those scenarios. He's a, less than a four-hour drive from home, five-hour drive from home, yet at the same time, he's on, his, he's, he's on his own. He's away from family. He's playing for a program that's the perennial p- power in the Pac-12 right now. Sig- you know, elite defense, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, a defensive lineman, is, is a future top-five pick uh, and, and could really – he could kind of step into his his spot from a from a standout star, stand, you know, marquee player type of position, and be that next guy that's a five star recruit. And he knows that you know he's not going to be the only elite defensive player on the roster for the time that he's there because we know of Sewell, we know of um, Flo, and we know of Dante Manning, three other five star recruits that are at the other two levels of the defense. And so he could look at things and say, I get a, the best of both worlds. That's where I'm going to side. I, I think Oregon lands the number two player in the country. Uh, and, and that's kind of today would be kind of like my surprise get, which is a pretty big surprise, a pretty big deal. Yeah, I'm going to side with you, uh, not with the same player, but the same type of surprise in that right now it doesn't look like there's no, th- that Oregon is the leader for a prospect. Um, and I, I'm going to say, Corey Foreman, the player, the nation's number one prospect, uh, just right there next to JT. But I think in my kind of view of the surprise, it's happened twice now the last two years where the number one defensive prospect in the Southern California area has Oregon on the list. They're a team that's being considered. They're in the group. But in the summer, they're not the number one team. And over the fall, the Ducks are able to, to build that recruiting momentum to where the point around signing day, they make a ESPN televised decision and you, you felt good about Oregon landing Kate Vaughn and Justin Flo, but there was still a lot of, well, we don't know how this is actually going to turn out. So um, I'm going to go Corey Foreman. I think the defensive recruiting effort that the Ducks have done in the Southern California area has just been so good that um, there was this narrative that you needed to leave Southern California and go to the SEC or Clemson to get developed. Um, I think Oregon has kind of bucked that trend a little bit uh, with what they've done. Uh, Really goes back to Thomas Graham, DeAndre Lenore, Nick Pickett, that class, uh, who and, and Troy Dye. Uh, who came out of the LA area as, I mean, Thomas Graham, Diamador were top recruits, but Troy Dye being a three-star linebacker getting drafted. Um, I think a lot of people are ta- paying attention to what Oregon has done with SoCal prospects. And it's, it's the nice option because, okay, it's not a five-hour flight to the East Coast, especially with everything going on right now. It's, it's a 10-hour-ish drive. And now that there are so many ducks from the Southern California area, it, 
it almost makes it like there's a, a I mean, it, there is a migration uh, flying north and it makes it easier for parents to drive up for game weekends. And I think that's something that really kind of bonds those Southern California recruits. And I think at the end of the day, that will play a big part in helping with the recruitment of Corey Foreman, even if the Ducks don't play football this fall and Corey does decide in December or early January where he's planning on deciding. Don't discount if Oregon doesn't play football this year and the Pac-12 doesn't play football this year, a whole other year, a whole other cycle of Oregon being able to go out and tout that they're Pac-12 champions and Rose Bowl champions. And that will matter. You know, every school will have to, will have to go up against that for a whole other year and we'll have no real rebuttal that, yeah, the last time we played football, they won it. And, you know, the, the AP rankings were, were released. And, uh, look, we can go back and forth of whether a team that's not playing should have been included in the, in the preseason poll or not. But the AP chose to, to rank the preseason poll as if everyone was playing. And then once the seasons begin, teams that aren't playing in the fall will no longer be eligible. Oregon started the year ninth in the country and the highest team in the Pac-12. And so two things in their recruiting hat that they will be able to flaunt uh, until games are played again, that there's no team in the Pac-12 has an, has a, any kind of rebuttal that makes any kind of sense uh, to, those, and, to those traits. And Oregon is just racking up the preseason All-Americans. All of the major lists are including players who are playing. And as a sophomore, Kayvon Thibodeau has been included in just about every single one. I mean, I, I – can't find one that he hasn't been, but I can't say definitively because I just haven't looked at them all, but all the big ones, Walter Camp, FWA, uh, USA Today, AP, Sporting News, College Football News. Kayvon Thibodeau is there as a sophomore on the first team. 100%. And, you know, the more recruits that Oregon continues to sign that are high-profile guys like a Kayvon, like a Flo, like a Troy Franklin – uh, the more and more other high-profile, you know, five-star SoCal, California area guys are going to want to come north to Oregon. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll, we'll answer four more questions. We're listening to the Ots and Audible's Mailbag Edition. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast, Mailbag Edition. Uh, Garrett Smith asked this question uh, on Twitter using the hashtag Audible's. We appreciate you using that. 
Which athletic program at Oregon is going to take that next significant step and be a top-tier program in the country? We have seen this with football and women's basketball teams of late. Hashtag Audibles. Good question by Garrett. Um, I think we could argue the football team could be the next team because they could crack into the playoff. Um, I don't know if necessarily I would have predicted a playoff in, in 2020, but I certainly felt more confident in saying a playoff for Oregon in 2021 because the defense returns a lot of talent, even if they do lose some guys. Uh, the offense will be more experienced and kind of meshes well together. Um, but I, I still think you, you could maybe argue the, fo- the football team. I would also say the men's basketball team is getting close to, you know, in 2020, 2021, this upcoming season, if, if they play college basketball, I, I really think that Dana Altman has a team that's capable of getting to the Final Four. Um, they've got a lot of experience, a lot of returning talent, uh, and then they've added some really big pieces to the, to the roster, and they continue to add more pieces uh, the way things are going. You know, the next couple of years could be a pretty special run. Um, I think the basketball, the women's basketball team is another one in which they may have a step back this year, but a step back could be an Elite Eight, an elite eight run. It, it, it could be a, a Sweet 16 run, and then they're there they're next year. The wild card for me, and I, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are, Kevin. Um, the wild card for me is the softball team because they've recruited well. They've, they've had some, some dips in roster because of transfers when Mike White left to go to Texas as head coach. But it seems like you know they've reloaded the talent. They've picked up some transfers. Things could move pretty quickly again for the softball team. Yeah, softball looks like the sport that uh, I think – this spring could could surprise a lot of people after two seasons with with uh, and I guess they only had a, a few games last season, but uh, before it was canceled. Uh, but I think they're the team that could surprise a lot of people. I, I think Melissa Lombardi is uh, getting all the pieces she needs in place after the coaching change. Um, and I mean, it was just kind of unfair that that her first season they just lost all the pitching where players were having the, that had never pitched before were jumping in the circle. So I think that's a, that's a team that to watch out for this spring. Uh, the other team lost their fall season, but uh, I'm very curious about, and I think it was a very good hire. Uh, the women's soccer program hired a U.S. women's national assistant coach, Graham Abel. Um, and I just – I think the, they've done a great job, the University of Oregon Athletic Department, of hiring women's coaches. I mean, we saw it with Kelly Graves. I think uh, Lombardi is going to be great for softball. And I, I just – the pedigree that Abel brings, um, his experience, his national team credibility, I think is just something that you're going to see that sport start to take off. I know that they've placed a lot of um, players in the NWSL uh, over the past few years, and I, I think – that that's a program not a lot of people are watching, but I think could be ready to take the next step. Okay. Let's go to the next question here from David Jones. Considering that fall sport athletes are getting an extra year of eligibility. How do you envision the scholarship count working out the next few years? I know you just put together the scholarship chart for the football program. Um, For me, Real quick, I'll let you explain where Oregon's at currently. Long-term-wise, we're probably going to need some kind of ruling by the NCAA to acknowledge the fact that schools are going to have to go over the 85 scholarship limit. 
because if they don't, it's going to be crazy. We're going to see recruiting classes that could be eight, seven, ten guys for the next couple of years because of you know the the ramifications of extending eligibility. Yeah, I think that's going to be the big question: is how does the NCAA avoid what I, I think uh, I've I've heard it said is an accordion effect, where it's just like shrinks a lot of classes in the middle. Um, 2021, I don't think will be as bad, but when you get into the 2022, 2023, maybe even 2024, there could be a long lasting impact if they don't substantially increase with, they basically gone ahead and been said, we're going to give everybody a free year of eligibility is kind of what they're pushing. And instead of just doing the seniors, which is what they did last year. Uh, for the spring sports. So right now, Oregon has 14 seniors. So if they just did seniors and then maybe just granted those players an extra set of eligibility, uh, but didn't count them against the scholarship total, that would work out for a lot of programs because Oregon has 14 seniors and 18 commits right now. Uh, Juniors that were expected to go pro, uh, you have Panay Sewell and Javon Holland who have been highly talked about uh, as first round picks, you could also see CJ Verdell potentially go pro. I think there's just a lot of questions of what is this going to do to a team, especially like Oregon, who has 33 players on the 2020 roster considered freshmen and 25 sophomores and only 14 juniors and 14 seniors. Um, yeah, that's another good point of who who leaves and who stays. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's a, it it's going to be a huge crunch to see what happens down the road. And it just, the NCAA has to figure out a way to get these rosters expanded because then it just, it eats into opportunity for some of these 2021 kids uh, that haven't committed yet. And the schools haven't really promised a spot because official offers uh, went out on August 1st and those come with the financial aid guarantees and, it would be a headache if schools had to renege on those offers. Um, but I think for 2021, I think if you, if the NCAA says no more opportunities and schools are only going to be taking, as you just said, eight, nine, 10 kids. And so you're going to see instead of the 1300 kids being able to sign with the division one FBS school, you're going to maybe only see 500. And that's just a lot of lost opportunities. Yeah. We, I mean, we'll see guys move on. I mean, some players will just say, you know what? Like I wasn't really going to play a ton this year. And while I love the camaraderie of a team, my body's hurting and I just, you know, I've graduated college and you know, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop playing. You know, that will happen. It's not going to happen in droves. You know, there aren't going to be huge numbers across the board that that plays out that way, but it'll happen. I mean, it happened for the softball team. And it's a little bit different, but at the same time, you know, Oregon had a softball player who just said, you know what, like, I, I didn't really play as a senior already. I wasn't expecting to play. I've got an internship opportunity for grad school. Uh, it's just in my best interest if I just hang up the cleats and well, I'd love to keep playing. It's just I need to get, you know, going on my life after sports, and that's what she chose to do. And so we'll see that happen in football too, but it's not going to be in huge numbers and – that's why I think the NCAA is going to need to do something because eventually what's going to happen is it's a trickle-down effect. A couple guys that maybe go to a, a Power 5 school, they don't have room and they, they, they fall down to the level of 
the group of five and the group of five schools, they don't have enough scholarships for everyone that they're going after. And so now all of a sudden some of those group of five caliber players end up having to sign with FCS schools and then FCS schools, you know, you, you see where I'm going here. And eventually though, there's going to be a group of guys at, at all tiers that are just going to figure out and say, you know what? I don't have anywhere to go. I'm going to have to either go Juco or I'm going to have to do some kind of like a prep year where he does like a fifth year of high school to, you know, train and get himself better to, to distance himself and uh, away from the, 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 the log jam of, of athletes and lack of scholarships in hopes of getting a, a scholarship at a school that he knows he can play. It's like telling a, a, you know, you've got five guys that are good enough for Oregon, but you've only got two spots. And those three guys that are good enough for Oregon, do they want to go down a level and play at Fresno State or do they want to wait a year in hopes that they play Juco football or they just take a gap year or what have you and they all of a sudden show up in, in the next year and try and get one of those three scholarships? But what happens if they don't get it? So that's, that's where I think the NCAA really needs to come out and kind of, kind of provide some clarity of, of what schools are going to do. The one really interesting thing that to me is that to be eligible for the NCAA, to play in the NCAA, you have to be working towards – a degree program, whether that's a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. Um, some of these kids, like, I mean, you're going to have some, a lot, a good number of sixth years. And yep. we're already noticing at Oregon that players are able to get their degree in less than three years. I mean, think of a guy like Cam McCormick, who now has a potential of seven years. And can, could he actually have eight years because of this? He could be a doctor like, by the time he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. He could have a doctorate. So it's just, it's going to be interesting to see those guys like, well, I've already gotten one master's degree. Oof, what, what other master's am I going to go get? Because you have to be on a degree path. Uh, so I think that's going to cause some issues for some of these older guys who have already completed degrees. Next question from Jeremy one time. Should the college football playoff be suspended this season since not all teams can play? Hashtag odds and audibles. Good question. Timely question because – the college football playoff, they are proceeding as if uh, everything is as operational as normal. Um, they are going to field the playoff with three of the five power five conferences playing fall football. Um, they've pushed back some of their dates into December for when they'll make their announcements for who makes the playoff. But nonetheless, they're still playing. And so I guess the, let's rephrase this question from, from Jeremy just real quick. Do we do we view a national champion and that that could be crowned by the CFP in 2020 a true national champion if two two fifths of its you know best conferences don't play? I think because there is a majority that's 60 percent. I think you you do have to give it like okay they won the playoff that year, but you know if the Big Ten and Pac-12 play this spring you know that the winner of they'll probably play some kind of game. I know that a lot of people have been joking. We'll just play the Rose bowl, uh, which would totally happen by the way. Like I totally envision that happening. Um, the, there will be multiple national champions claimed out of this year. I think like, and I think they'll have more legitimacy than UCF a few years ago, who was undefeated, but kept out of the playoff. I think, it's going to be a weird year. A lot of record books are going to have asterisks next to them. Um, but I think the college football playoff 
will have a legitimate champion. It will just have a very heavy asterisk next to them. Be like Ohio State, the preseason number two team, did not play. Oregon, the Pac-12's highest ranked team at number nine, did not play. And a bunch of other teams did not play. I think that's going to be the the big um, asterisk that's going to sit forever in the history books. I don't have a problem with a, a playoff being played, and especially, like you said, majority right now rules. Um, I will look at it, though, with tainted glasses if we get multiple two-loss teams in the playoff. Um, that, I think that's the only way I'm going to look at things. If, if we end up getting you know, four teams that are 11-1 and one or, or you know, they have one loss to their name, I'll look at it and say that's a championship. You know, that's, that's a legit playoff. But if we see a situation in which, you know, the SEC sends two teams and they're, you know, one of them is 11 and, and one or 10 and one or what have you, and the other one is nine and two or 10 and two or something of that nature, um, I'm going to have a hard time. And then, and then let's say the ACC team, you know, they have two losses and, and all of a sudden we look at it and it's like, well, we've got some teams where, you know, we've never seen a two-loss team get in, and now all of a sudden we have multiple two-loss teams. Um, that's where I look at it and say someone from the Pac-12, someone from the Big Ten, you know, one of those two conferences would have gotten in over these two-loss teams, and I, I just can't, can't, can't stomach myself to, to recognize a two-loss team in a playoff with only you know, being a true, true playoff compared to other years. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And especially with this conference only and conferences adding uh, two games to the schedule, it's going to make it hard. Just it's going to be a gauntlet for any of those three conferences to go ahead and run the table. Um, But I think being a one loss is pretty valid. Being a two loss national champion is going to be something hard to stomach. And I think my biggest question is, do the group of five schools that are still playing, do they even have a legitimate shot to get in the playoff or are they just going to be completely shut out? I think that'd be the one year that you might see one of them maybe break through, but we'll see. All right. Last question here on the podcast. Eric Thornton asks on Twitter, would playing in a spring help or hurt Oregon's chances for a 2020-2021 football season? Hashtag odds and audibles. I believe Eric is discussing is it beneficial for Oregon to play, let's say, in January, February, and March, and that be their what would have been 2020 football season, and then six months later try and roll out and play a 2021 football season? Is it beneficial playing that January, February, March football season when you're intending to play a full season in the fall? That's That's a difficult question. I think there's a lot of – can the players physically recuperate from that uh, playing a season is much harder than just doing a spring practice. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the, the proposals coming out of the big 10. Um, that's where they're mostly, as I know, Purdue's coach released a, an entire, like, I don't want to call it a manifesto, but it was like, this is what we need to do. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting, but it was, they need to start in early January so they can get a eight game, 10 game schedule in, and then get those players recovered for the following fall. And I think if you could get that done, if you could find a way to get a shortened season in early winter or late winter, early spring, and have it done by May, just completely done, players are off by even April. I think that would be the best case scenario. 
uh, for turning around and having a season starting in September the next year. Yeah, I, I just I look at this and, and and playing two seasons in one calendar year is going to be extremely difficult. I think there's a lot of value in playing something. Um, maybe it's a, even a short an even more shortened season instead of playing 10 games maybe you play eight maybe you play maybe you play just six games five divisional games and and one team outside your division or two games outside your division um and 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 that way you get some development for your players it helps definitively now knowing that the ncaa is saying no matter how much is played during a season whether it's in the fall or in the winter of 2021 um, every player can can come forward and say, you know what, like that's that that year didn't count. I'm I'm gonna play my my true sophomore year uh, in 2021 instead of 2020. I think that helps, especially now that that's been been released by the NCAA. If I'm Oregon, if I'm any of these other schools, I definitively definitely want to play at least a handful of two, three, four, five games in February. January, just so you get live game reps in practice. I mean, that that's going to be huge. Yeah, I think live game reps is going to be something interesting. And where this actually could end up helping Oregon, and I'm curious to see where the, the NCAA has not said anything on this, and there's a lot of question marks uh, for spring season. But what happens to the mid-year enrollees, the traditional January early enrollees from the class of 2021? I mean, I think a majority now of Oregon commits have kind of come forward and said, we're planning on enrolling in January if that's how it's going to work out. Um, With the NCAA giving extra eligibility, I kind of wonder if for just depth purposes, uh, if some of those players would be allowed to participate in maybe a percentage of those spring games for the Pac-12 and Big Ten. I think that would be a huge help for getting a spring season and then a, a fall season the next year is by allowing an extra 15 or so scholarship players to at least participate in half those games. Yeah. That's another good point of, it goes back to the, you know, the, the roster question of what do you do with mid enrollees? How do they, you know, do they count? Do they not count? Are they eligible to play? Can you go over the 85? There's a lot of questions. And I think, I think that's probably what, what's not to go too far down a tangent here, but that's probably what's the most frustrating with the NCAA's lack of leadership is that there's so many questions and they're moving at a snail's pace. And, and while you want to make a thoughtful you know, decision and you want to think out all your scenarios, it just, it just feels like more could be done sooner, quicker, quicker response times to give some of these schools, to give some of these conferences better clarity of should they be playing? Should they not be playing? How are they going to be handling rosters? And if, if they don't play, how does that impact things? And, and this is what, what it will mean for schools who aren't playing and who are, who are playing. And um, I, I just think there's a, a lot of areas that this, you know, things could be better at, and that's just one of the many things with the NCAA that, that could play out that way. So, Completely agree. That's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's mailbag edition for Kevin Wade, myself, Matt Prem. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending in your questions. We'll talk to you soon.
From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.